Wow, what a pleasure to be here. You guys are so wonderful. I know you've heard this before from me, but I uh, just so enjoy being back in Vermont. Enjoy the cold weather, enjoy the snow. I know that sounds crazy, but 32 years in a tropical paradise is, uh, I'm, I'm ready for this paradise over here. So this is really cool. So despite what the bulletin says, the title is <laughs> The Voice That Calls Follow Me. <laughs> okay, if you're wondering about that. If you missed the little, uh, forget it. Anyway, <laughs> The Voice That Calls Follow Me. It's part of a, a, a series, a Lenten series that uh, Dave wants to do, Pastor Dave wants to do uh, about voices as a theme. So, um, and uh, the, our passage in uh, Mark is... Uh, most of it, a lot of it, is Jesus calling out to the disciples. And, sorry, too much tech. Okay, so this is where we're at. We're in uh, Mark chapter 1, 14 through 20. And we're going to zero in on this. So last week we heard about John the Baptist, and basically he's coming, he's waning uh, from last week. I mean, in other words, Mark has introduced him. He's the herald. Now he's moving out. Jesus is coming on the scene. And it says, later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time, and Jesus says, the time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent in your sins, repent of your sins, and believe the good news. So Mark is already uh, introducing basically what the rest of his book is going to be about because Jesus is proclaiming these two things, the good news and the kingdom of God, and they're linked. Okay. So what is the gospel? All right. I've been overseas, and I've been other places, and I think the gospel looks different than it does in America. Can you believe that? <laughs> I think, and this is going to be tough for some of you, that the gospel in America is anemic. That's a big word. <laughs> it's anemic. It's shy of the mark. It could be more, and we should be presenting it slightly different, and that's what I'm about to talk to you about today. The good news is far, far more than mere eternal life. We seem to emphasize that in America, okay? It's part of the gospel, and it's part of God's, uh, Jesus' message. But there's, the gospel is so, so much more, so more. And it's really about transformation. It's really about transformation. I mean, that's what Jesus is all about. That's why Jesus is here and why God sent him. Um, and that's actually the good news. That's the desperate thing that America needs to hear from us, is that the gospel is not about eternal life. I mean, it is, but it's, we put too much emphasis on it. It's about transformation. It's about change. And all of that means, all that that means. Okay, most of us are broken in this world, and we need change. So um, let's look at, oops, I haven't been moving this along. Uh, yeah, okay. So let's look at the classic verse. I mean, uh, you know, Billy Graham on down the 50s and et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, this is the classic gospel verse that we like to recite. You all can recite this, right, in your favorite uh, uh, translation. 
For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Okay, and again, there's that emphasis on eternal life. All right, but um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we like to preach that God is love. Right? We say that right and left. Even a non-Christian, a non-believer will come to me and say, don't you know that God is love? <laughs> All right? I mean, they'll say that, okay? Now, what's the only trihagion given to God? Okay? Big fancy theologic word. Trihagion. Okay? There's only two times that you'll see this in the scriptures. The trihagion is when something is said three times about God. Okay, what's the trihagion of God in the scriptures? And somebody, the scholars will know. Okay, it's the two places in Revelation and in Isaiah. They're both visions of God and the angels say, holy, holy, holy. Amen. So you got it. <laughs> they, say, they say, holy, 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 which means Three times, I mean, it, it, in the Hebraic thing, that means, listen up, this is number one. This is preeminent. Okay, holy, holy, holy. Now note, the angels do not say, love, love, love. Okay? They don't say, God is the God of love, God is the God of love, God is the God of love. That's what we say all the time. No, instead, they say, holy, holy, holy. <laughs> Okay, and why I'm emphasizing this is because we preach the love thing all the time. We don't preach the holiness of God, right? <laughs> anyway. And so we preach that John 3.16 verse. So guess what? 20 verses down in the text. We never, get, we never bother with John 3.36, which says, And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Wow. When was the last time you shared that verse with somebody? All right. That's like, ooh, okay. That's 20 verses away from John 3.16. Okay. It's, it's close in context. Okay. And there's a lot of tension here, and there's a lot of truths on both sides. So let's flesh this out. What does this really mean? But my call to you is, and my asking, my question is, is why do we preach John 3.16 and we don't preach John 3.36? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oops, let's go back. That's So, here's the deal with John 3.16. We're in the world of sound bites, right? The world of sound bites. Let's say I'm a lobbyist on Capitol Hill. Have you ever done this? I haven't, but I've heard from friends who have. Say you're a lobbyist on Capitol Hill. You have a cause, okay? What do you do? Well, you're one of a hundred lobbyists in the, in the, inside the Beltline, okay? What do you do to get your cause in front of your congressperson, okay? What do you do? You stalk them, Okay, you, you sit on the steps of Capitol, the Capitol building. 
all right? You stalk them. You know when they're coming. You know you're, you're waiting, okay? And you have a flyer, a bullet. No, actually, you have, you have some, something to catch their eye. And also, you have all your materials, okay? And you, your person is coming up the stairs. You, among all the others, you have 20 seconds to get your point across to that person. You have to catch that person's eye. And you, if you don't, all is lost, okay? And most of the time, that's it. It's lot You don't, okay? But that's what you have to do. And our gospel presentations are a lot like that, okay? Too short, too quick, and prone to failure, <laughs> okay? I mean, that's what happens. It's because we're into this soundbite. We've got to grab the person. So presenting the gospel normally takes, normally takes a lot of time. And it takes a lot of prayer, okay? And that's just not the way our world works. So we try to package things. We try to make things really short and sweet. And that's maybe why we grab onto John 3.16. But I think a better verse for the gospel is, if I can get this. Yep. Okay. Here's what I think is actually a better verse for the gospel in modern day America in, what are we, 2019. Is that the right year? Okay. 2019. (laughs) All right. Colossians 122, I'm actually trying to memorize this because this is the thing I plan to share when I uh, am working with people in Vermont. Yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, as a result, he has brought you into what? His own presence. And... You're holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. There's a lot more going on in there than John 3.16, okay? A lot more. It's talking about transformation. It's talking about how the entrance to the holy of holies, holy, 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 is even possible, okay? And how I can come into his presence. And not only that, I can be blameless, okay, and, without, and stand without a single fault. I mean, wow, that's the gospel, my friends, <laughs> okay? And all of that, of course, is through Christ, and we can proceed to explain how that it can be. So where I'm trying to go with this is that we're too busy uh, sharing this kind of, I call it the, the, the teddy bear vision of God, you know, the cuddly teddy bear, you know, oh, you know, and, and how God is loving, all loving. He is. I mean, it's true. It's just that we shouldn't emphasize it so much. And this leads to, when have you heard this? from a non-Christian now who has been sort of missionized in America for, you know, decades. How many times have you come up to people, particularly the younger ones, and say, oh, that's, that's fine, Brian. I, I'm okay. I'm okay. What are they going to say? You're okay. <laughs> I've got this salvation thing all squared away, <laughs> you know. And don't talk to me about any demands that Jesus might make on my life, <laughs> all right? And, you know, you know, Brian, that God is an all-forgiving God. God is all, an all-loving God. I can live a licentious lifestyle all I want, you know, if I want to, because the Heavenly Father will always forgive me. How many times have you heard that? I've heard it a zillion times. If you haven't, then you need to be out more. <laughs> okay. So, and I say, Really? <laughs> Really? Is that what John 3.36 is saying? Remember, it talked about obedience. You know, eternal life wasn't for those who weren't obedient, right? 
I mean, that's, what, that's the text. And here's, here's a point. I don't really have time to go into this, but if you're really a child of God, if you're really a child of God, you earnestly desire to please him. Okay? If you're really a child of God, you earnestly desire to please him. And the Holy Spirit, remember the helper, the paraclete is given to us, the Holy Spirit easily tells you when you're not pleasing to him. Right? And you care. You care. You care to please the Lord. You, that's just part of your nature because you're a child of God, because the Holy Spirit is prompting you and all these things. That's part of the dynamic of, a Christ, of the Christian life. So I think we're too eager to preach this anemic gospel, and we need to color it all in. We need to fill it all in. And there's many pieces that seem to be missing, at least in the American presentation. All right, so what is... What is the kingdom of God? Remember, Jesus says the gospel and also the kingdom of God is near. Uh, so we're really at, uh, yeah, Mark 1.15. The time promised by God has come at last, he says. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Yeah. We can see actually in the Mark passage that the two things, the gospel of God and the, the gospel and the kingdom of God are inseparably linked. They're actually really close. Hang on a sec. Oh, that's, that's crazy. All right. <sighs> Sorry. But the further insight can be found in that Luke passage that we uh, shared. We opened our service today. I'm having trouble. There we go. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replies, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. And the Greek scholars, among you can also be translated, is within you. It's both. Okay, it's a hard nuance. Okay, so the kingdom of God is already among you, is within you, all right? It's, it's around you. It's not a country over there, okay? It's more about a state of being than anything else. And from the rest of scripture, we know it's really about this transformation business. It's about this Holy Spirit coming that helps us in that transformation. Yeah. So back to the gospel and back to the kingdom of God. The whole thing, the the whole gospel of Mark is really about Christ's authority in our lives. Ephesians 1.10. If you want to know the plan of God, if you've ever wondered what the plan of God is, just read Ephesians 1.10. Okay? That's it. That's all you need. All right? That's the plan of God. It's all about becoming new and being restored. There's the Colossians 1.22 verse that I just read to you. You all know 2 Corinthians 5.17 about being a new creation in Christ. All right. It's not merely about salvation. It's about rescue and restoration. It's about identity in Christ. 1 John 3.12, if you guys are scribbling notes. Okay. Yeah. So surely you already know about 2 Corinthians 5.17, the, 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 new, the, the new creation. You all know Romans 12, 1 and 2, the transformation, again, uh, the renewing of our minds. When we as believers see sin in our lives, and we do, 
Okay, sin enters all the time. It's part of the fallen nature that we are, that we have. Okay, we feel what? We feel uncomfortable. We feel uncomfortable before the Lord. And there's this sense of disappointment. Sometimes it's crushing, and we have to encourage each other to get past the crush, okay? The, it's, there's this sense of disappointment that leads ultimately, rightly, to repentance, Right? That's all part of the dynamic of this, this you know, glorious sanctification process that we're in. Big theological term, but basically it's becoming more and more like Christ. And we all have our ups and downs. That's part of being in the kingdom of God. <laughs> that's part of, yeah, that's part of the gospel. This event, this, this uh, gradual restoration, renewal, constantly cycling, and we share that amongst each other. We encourage each other. That's part of the community that we're in. That's part of the body of Christ. As we all help each other in this life to get to the glorious life yet to come. Right? So there's a progression, and this is part of the kingdom of God and the gospel. We're made in his image. We're marred by sin, and we see that all the time. We're transformed back, we're conformed by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.29 is a good verse for this. And finally, like him, we become perfect over, you know, eventually. I mean, you know, we won't see that, realize that perfection until the glory yet to come. <clears throat> but we're on our way. And in 1 John 3.2, it talks about seeing him face to face. It's part of our identity. Okay. So the kingdom of God is really about God's indwelling Holy Spirit, and it's a gift. It's a gift given to us. All right, so with that as a backdrop, <laughs> what happens here? <laughs> okay, the rest of today's passage is Jesus coming out and calling some of the disciples that we hear uh, all together. We end up with 12 or 11, 12 minus 1. Right? Okay, they're all chosen by God, by Jesus. Okay? And the key here is where Jesus is running around to these ordinary guys, and he says, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Yeah. He says, he calls out, Follow me, and they don't say, uh, Yeah, we'll get around to it, you know, uh, when we feel like it, or whatever. Or, yeah, that's nice, uh, you know, give me a chance here to get ready, or whatever. No, they drop everything, and they run off. They run off with him. I have no idea what uh, Papa Zebedee thought. <laughs> Doesn't tell us. <laughs> okay. I mean, did he, was he upset <laughs> with Jesus? calling? I mean, I, we have no idea. Was he prepared? There's probably a lot of relationship building before this moment, okay, that we don't know about. Okay, but think about the kingdom of God. Think about follow me. Uh, is this an optional call for us as believers? Is this just for the 12 or is this for all of us? Okay, is it optional? No, not really. But I, I think coming from overseas, a lot of American Christians live as though one can live with Christ at arm's length. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> arm's length. Okay, in other words, uh, yeah, okay, I'll sort of let 
Christ into my life, but uh, not all of it, <laughs> you know. And if I feel like it, okay, I'll come to him, you know. And heaven forbid, if he would disrupt my little world with my little world filled with petty little things and, you know, my comfort zone, disturbs my comfort zone. I mean, heaven forbid that, you know. So, uh, but no, Christ is saying, follow me. And at this point, the disciples have no idea what to expect, all right? But we can see the results in their lives later. So now I do a lot of world travel, and I'm about to go to a secret conference in Amsterdam. Uh, This April 1st is when I travel. And back in 2015, I went to the same conference. This is the... uh, the heroes of the faith meeting together, secret people that you would never know, and that's just as well. I ran into a guy, David Watson, okay, in 2015. Now, you don't know who David Watson is, that's fine, even though he's an author. He wrote Contagious Disciple Making for all you disciple makers who want to, interesting take. This guy is a humble guy, and he stood on the stage with crutches because he has some kind of a muscular problem. He's, his body's deteriorating, okay? And that caught my eye because Helen has MS, right? Uh, so, and he has been ministering in what's called, in northern India, what's called the missionary graveyard. It's where you send all the missionaries and they never come out and they die. Uh, so it's the missionary graveyard. And he, God has used this humble guy and he is supposedly, you can find him on the web, he supposedly founded about a thousand churches in northern India. These would be like home churches, okay? Northern India is a tough place for Christians, okay? So he told one little story, he was a plenary speaker, he told one little story about uh, his life, his ministry there, and the State Department, he was ministering in northern India, the State Department comes along and finds David Watson and says, are you the David Watson? He's, yes, I'm the David Watson we need you, we need your blood. (laughs) And it turned out that he has a rare blood type and a leading Hindu leader in in India, uh, you know, somebody really famous, I don't know the names. He had the same blood type. And that person desperately needs blood transfusion. So the State Department, U.S. State Department, is going after this guy and says, we want your blood. And the guy says, well, okay, I'll, I'll give my blood. But with one condition. And they go, they go, yeah, whoa, what, what, what condition? I want, I want a, a direct transfusion, transfusion of my blood in the hospital with this guy. Direct. That means line to line, you know, no, no bagging, no, no saving the blood, okay? And the hospital even came and wanted to do that. And he said, no, 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 my deal is I have direct transfusion with this, this guy. And they looked at him, and, and then, of course, it's not convenient and all this kind of stuff. You have to come in, and you have to meet together. And so regularly he meets with this leading uh, leader who's of the Hindu faith. And so for weeks, they have uh, lots of personal time. <laughs> and that was the deal. That was the thing. And was it convenient for him to do this? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> okay. But he goes in, and so blood to blood, straight, you know, line going through. And uh, he proceeds to present the gospel, and he has time, right? And the guy, and the, the leader, the leading Hindu leader, his family is furious with this guy. And guess what? Well, you can guess what happens. He becomes a Christian. <laughs> 
And in fact, and he also dies later. But the thing is, at the funeral, the family that was furious against him invites him to the funeral because, you know, they knew that he loved their, their relative and, and cared for him. You know what I mean? So there was this incredible testimony because of what? Because David was ready to sacrifice his life. In fact, give his blood literally <laughs> for another. And that's the calling of the disciples. That's really the calling that we all have in our, in our lives. And that's why I bring this up. This weird term that I keep running into, which is now probably a decade old, this Christ follower thing, to me is really anemic. Okay. To me, it's really anemic. Maybe to you, it all sounds great and wonderful. It's better than other terms. Uh, But it's anemic to me because it has many cultural senses. It doesn't really describe, it doesn't describe the kind of Christianity that I want to be part of. Remember in the scriptures, Acts chapter 4, there was this character, Ananias, who we hardly know anything about. Ananias is the guy that the Lord said, go to Saul and talk to him. And Ananias says, no, no, do you know who this guy is? He's running around, you know, killing people and in an, that are followers of Christ and also imprisoning them. And, but God said, go. And so even with fear and trepidation, Ananias was obedient and then goes and is used by God at that moment to uh, tell Paul what he needed to hear. And then we don't know anything more about Ananias. The better terms, believe it or not, you know, I know this is going to sound kind of harsh, but Christ follower, I'll use the term, but then I'm going to spell it out. Okay, the better, the better biblical labels, the ones that we actually see in the text of the scriptures, are things like a prisoner, okay, a bond slave, all right, a warrior for Christ. Those aren't the things that we identify, you know, I say, I'm a warrior for Christ. You know, I mean, that's not what people hear from us. It's, no, I'm a Christ follower, okay? The bond slave, if you haven't heard, that was the guy who volunteered to be your servant. In fact, you came to the doorpost and the master came and run an an awl through your earlobe. That might have been painful, okay? And there might have been some blood too, okay? And the thing is, he ran it through the earlobe, you know, into the wall, okay? And okay, now you are volunteering to be my servant for life, that's what, bonds, that's what the bond slave means, okay? And, uh, and the warrior, the warrior is the guy who, who correctly handles the tools that he has, the sword, the shield, which in our case would be the, the word of God, both offensively and defensively. And he's willing to die in battle, the warrior, right? Metaphorically and physically, you know, the point is, is that this kingdom of God business, whenever you talk about the kingdom of God, guess what? There is a king, <laughs> and that's who we worship. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and so what happens to the disciples? I mean, according to tradition, every single one of them dies a martyr's death. Everyone except for maybe John who's reserved because he gets exiled in Patmos and then he writes uh, Jesus' final words to all of us in the book of Revelation, right? Yeah. 
And so Jesus is saying, follow me. The disciples dropped everything in their pursuit of Jesus. They were in pursuit of him. They were in pursuit of the perfection that he offers to them and to everyone. And if you know me, those of you who do know me over the decades, you can't walk away from one of my sermons without thinking about application. <laughs> okay, so get ready. <laughs> um, most of the church in the world is heavily persecuted. That's where I'm headed right now, soon. Uh, not that I experienced that persecution. Actually, my persecution is pretty mild. Yours is too. But I'm going where people are literally laying down their lives for the gospel. And believe me, that opens your eyes. And uh, it's just, it's amazing to be in the presence of those, that kind of person. The salvation part that we like to share all the time is a precious gift. And it's a gift to those who are physically persecuted. But they would not endure the tortures of the faith if Jesus were not truly Lord of their lives. Yeah. And so, the kingdom of God and the gospel is really about the pursuit of him at all costs. And with the Holy Spirit, we're empowered to be what? To be sold out for him. Yeah. So now I'm going to ask you, and now you before the Lord have to answer these questions. Uh, is there some small way where you're experiencing persecution in this life in America, especially in Vermont, it's pretty easy, <laughs> uh, where you're experiencing persecution, it's not the kind where the spear is going through your heart like in Papua New Guinea, but rather it's the kind of, what, social persecution, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, shame, or I don't know what it is, you know, I mean, there's just something here that hits us, people rail against us or whatever, is there some place where you're experiencing a persecution, a social persecution, I guess, stand firm and give testimony of the hope that's within you. Okay? Stand up. Be sold out for God. Risk, risk what? You know, risk your social standing falling or whatever, you know, before that individual or before that other organization, if that's your calling. And um, allow the Holy Spirit, of course, to transform us. Allow the Holy Spirit to transform you in whatever it is that you're struggling with, okay? And people around you should be noticing. If we're getting better and better and, and reaching further and further by the power of God, by the Holy Spirit to some new level of, you know, closer to perfection, we won't be perfect in this life, right? People should be noticing. People should be coming up to you and saying, wow, I... <laughs> I notice you're doing that, and I, have, I haven't seen that in anybody for a long time or whatever. And then that's the perfect time to say, well, you know, God is working in me. This is something about the Holy Spirit, and this is because I'm following him and because he's Lord in my life. And would you like that too? <laughs> so um, it's all about this transformation, and along with the transformation comes the opportunities over and over again to witness. So a life changed by Christ's love is always worth talking about. So do that. <laughs> give your simple testimony and give it often. It's a very powerful thing. So oh, that we might hear God's call and follow him to the ends of the earth or to our little village and to all costs. For worthy is the lamb 
that was slain. All right, so thanks for hearing me. <laughs>